Welcome back to the continuation of our series on faith. And we've had a great time just pulling apart the various facets of faith, having faith that uh, we believe, having faith in this God that we believe in. And what we want to look at today is a continuation of this idea of because of these other facets of faith, we can have faith for something. And when Jesus talked about faith, he more often than not was talking about having faith for something. And, and so we want to have a look at that and really pull that apart again today. And we've looked at this journey of faith. And last week we saw that the journey of faith, the growing of small faith to larger faith, uh, is a continual winding track that at times has barriers and then we build barriers over that and uh, tune into last week's message to view more detail on that. But today I want to look at the various hills of faith, the uphills and the downhills. You know, at times the Christian life, it just seems impossible. I hope it seems impossible. Now, getting saved seems easy. We believe and we place our faith in Christ. It's just all so simple and straightforward. There's no work involved in that at all. Getting saved in that sense, it seems like, well, if this is what the Christian life is going to be like, then, then that's great. But it just seems to be in practice that after this, it's all the added extras that seem to get piled on top of us, all the added expectations of Christianity, expectations placed on us by the external world, by the people around us, by ourselves. And even as we read... The Word of God, we can look at, the, look at the New Testament and go, there's all this other stuff that's sort of expected of me. It's almost like there's faith plus. But we want to get back to the fact that we're called to live by faith from first to last. So what are these expectations? Are they valid? And so on. Things like love your enemies. Things like don't live from the flesh. Be generous. You know, Give to the body of believers. All these sorts of things. All these things that seem to go along with this initial faith that I had that seemed so easy. Add to that the uh, existing and the quite normal trials of life, the things that just go wrong for us, just the same way they go wrong for unbelievers. But let's have a look at how James uh, connects these ideas of persevering through those parts of life and the faith that God gives us and how they work together. Let's check it out in James chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance testing of your faith now we could in, we could do a bit of a play on words there and if we just wanted to replace just for a moment that word testing for exercising maybe that's a better way so it's not like it's a pass fail test it's more like let's work it through let's get, let's put it to the trial let's exercise your faith because when it's exercised our faith will produce as James is saying perseverance now as a cyclist we could we could apply the non-theological cyclist paraphrase version of this verse and it would say something else because they approach exercising in a different way it's rejoice when you face hills of many sizes because exercising your current capacity means that you can go even higher for longer now as a cyclist i would completely understand that we start with a certain capacity but if you want to grow capacity then we have to exercise it and we do that through pushing up hills and by exercising capacity we grow capacity and so I think that's where Paul, uh, James is aiming at here. He's saying, you know, test your faith and it will produce perseverance. It means you can have more faith and it will last for longer. The key principle at play here is that you don't grow faith. Faith doesn't grow on its own. Faith doesn't grow by things going well. And God calls us to having more faith. Faith grows when things don't go your way. And this is sort of counterintuitive because we would kind of think that faith would grow when things do go our way, that we believe for something, we pray for it, we see it happen, and faith grows. Uh, and it does to a limit, but it's, it's like there's a bandwidth 
of faith. It's like there's an unseen lower and upper limit to our faith. And as things go well for us, we might start at the lower limit of what is our unseen bandwidth of faith. And as things go well, we seem to have more faith and more faith to believe for more and more things. But then one day something happens that derails us. Something doesn't get answered or things go against what we believe were going to happen. And we, we find the upper limit of our faith. Suddenly we find ourselves questioning. And, and so it's at that moment that we need to consider uh, this faith idea is a journey and I need to grow my faith. And there are times when a lot does go our way. Obviously, there are times when things don't go away. And we're going to look at the downhill when things go our way a little bit later on. But the litmus test, the, the instant test of where our faith is at, is how we respond when things don't go our way, not how we respond when things do go our way. And it's all these added extras that we talked about earlier that really show us something. It's when we try to live up to our expectations, when we try to live up to all the other stuff that's piled onto us, by other people and everything else, that we discover where the limit of our faith actually is. And so the idea of testing and upping up the hill is to grow in that limit. In climbing the hill of, of faith with all the expectations, we find the extent and the limit of our strength. Let's have a look at how Peter, the Apostle Peter, paints it in his epistle, where he says in 2 Peter 1, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So here's the, here's the added stuff going on goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love now what i love to do is to look at the greek words and what they mean in this and even those last two mutual affection and moving on from mutual affection to to love he's saying there you go from brotherly love to unconditional unconditional love it's like there's a, oh, a constant upgrade going on there He's saying, add these things to your faith, add this, and then add that, and then add that. And suddenly you'll find, how much am I going to add to this faith? When does this list stop getting added onto? At some point we just go, this is impossible. I can't do this. I can't, I can't have faith and then also just continue to push and then try to be godly all the time and try to be faithful all the time and then be nice to people when I least feel like it and then go beyond that to have unconditional love, to love my enemies. And we realize at some point along that uphill journey where more and more expectations seem to get added onto us, we go, I can't do it. It's impossible. But that's the moment. That's the point. Because the whole meaning of the uphill is to help us find the extent and limit of our faith so we can surrender our own strength and start living from his. So God uses these moments of life, these uphill journeys of our life to sort of herd us into a place of God's sufficiency because our own sufficiency begins to run out and it's only once I realize that my self-sufficiency has a limit that I can gain access to the greater sufficiency which is God see the testing and exercise is not so your flesh gets stronger he doesn't pile expectations on us the world doesn't pile these expectations on us just so our flesh can get stronger that's never been what the New Testament's about it's to realize that my flesh will never be enough it never was in the Old Testament and it's not in the New the New Testament is all about living from God, living by faith. And it's a realisation that our own sufficiency has run out, that we can begin to start living from his place of life and abundance. And it's the way we do that, how we, the lessons that we learn in that uphill journey, that will position us for the, the coming downhill journey. Let's have a look at what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, Jesus is addressing here that faith for things. He's saying, you know, whatever you wish for, it can be done. This is a faith statement. But the proviso is if you remain in him, if you abide in him. The miracles and all the stuff that we hope for comes from this dynamic of remaining in him. And it's the uphill journey where we begin to realize our own self-sufficiency is gone, that we instinctively then will lean into him, tap into his sufficiency. And he's saying, when you do that, that he's calling this remaining, abiding. When you begin to do that, then you're not only tapping into the power of God, you're also tapping into the heart of God because what you want to happen will be what he wants to happen and then he'll get behind that with the power of his spirit. But preceding this statement in John 15, he uh, gives an explanation of a deeper understanding of where this statement comes from and why it matters in John 14, 11 to 14, where he says, Believe me when I say, I am in the Father. He's talking there about abiding and remaining. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now look at what he's saying there. He's not giving an apologetic of himself as being the Messiah to the Pharisees where he said this sort of statement before. He says, look, if you don't believe me, believe the miracles. He's talking to the disciples here in John 14. He's approaching the cross and he's giving them the real instructions and the culture of what it looks like to be a Christian in a world where he's physically not present. And he's talking about the presence of the Spirit. He's talking about how we can abide in him. And he says, believe in me when I say I'm in the Father or at least believe the miracles. So what he's connecting there, he's connecting the abiding, the presence of leaning into and, and living from the Spirit. He's connecting that directly to miracles. He's saying, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the evidence of this abiding by the miracles that you see come out of my life. See, faith and miracles come from abiding, from leaning in. It's relational. It's about intimacy. It's a dynamic. It's not relying on an object or a distant God who never interacts. He's saying this faith and the miracles and the power that bring them come from abiding. It's relational. And we can't escape this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, will you understand? Will you get it? This Christian life is never something you can do on your own. But if you abide in me, all things become possible. Faith grows. And anything that you ask for in my name, I will do it for you. What an incredible promise. What incredible power is available to those who will switch modes in life. Stop trying to do it in our own strength. Stop looking for our own ingenuity and self-sufficiency to live and rely instead on him to pray, to rely, to abide and watch him do what only he can do. See, the uphill is a place of breakthrough. Those hardest times in your life are the opportunities to break through into abiding. Because it's only there where you find this new depth of surrender and peace. You only find them in the uphill moments of life. It's where we grow faith. Because of, and the faith that's not connected to that which is seen. It's faith in he who is unseen. But most important, it's where we upgrade our ability to abide. So you're growing in faith. What is it? Essentially, it's growing in our ability to lean into and relate and engage closely with God. So abiding in that sense is an expression of faith. And abiding produces faith. One symbiotically works with the other. How often have you found that when you finally let go and let God, 
that he breaks through and does what you could never produce in your own strength. Okay, let's make it stick. Let's land this in your own life just a little bit. So we need to look at where might we be relying on our own strength, our own self, and hope to have an increase of abiding faith. You see, this thing, whole thing about abiding, God will narrow our life down to this point where we really need to uh, embrace it and really need to work this into our life of faith because it's fundamental. We can't get past our ability to abide with him. And it's not something we can bypass just by waiting. We can't just outweigh the circumstances of life and hope one day it'll all change and things will turn around. It, waiting doesn't make this principle go away. There's no bypassing a topic by going to Bible college or learning more from the Bible. Uh, it, there's no recognized prior learning. It's not going to uh, discovering new principle in God is not going to bypass the need to have this principle at work. You know, abiding isn't going to be uh, replaced by having a better church or a better spouse or a better job or, or any other circumstance. It won't replace our need to come at some point and recognize abiding and faith are crucial elements in our life. No one can do your abiding for you. Uh, you can't outrun it. You can't hide it. This is a fundamental part of life. So what I've noticed in life is that there are many wonderful, faithful Christians who remain stuck in the uphill section of their life because they've been unable to come to this point of recognising I go no further than my ability to abide in Christ. So I wonder if there's a place of stuckness in your life, a place of frustration, a place where you've tried everything else but it's just come back to the point where I just need God and it doesn't matter how long I wait because nothing seems to be happening but you need to really be able to center in and increase in your ability to abide in him. Perhaps that looks like a new level of uh, vulnerability to God. Um, perhaps you just need to deliberately stop trying to make something happen, stop striving, stop worrying, whatever it would be, and let go and let God. But don't just let go. Let go and allow yourself to be filled with the presence of God in your life. So what part of your life might you need to cease working on so that he can begin to work on it? Okay, for every uphill, there is always a downhill. And this is a great thing to know as we're going through these perseverance and growth times of our life. At some point, the slope is going to invert and it's going to start going downhill. And by downhill, what I'm talking about there is a sort of uh, life of faith where it seems to take on its own momentum. It's like you see a miracle happen, you see, you see God do something and it builds faith and, and you start to exercise that new bandwidth of faith that's been grown by the uphill experience you've just had. And it becomes contagious. One miracle leads to another because your faith is increasing and, and your belief that God will do stuff begins to increase. It's a wonderful time. And as a cyclist, uh, I love the idea of the downhill. The uphill is, is great because it builds capacity. But you know, sometimes you have to go uphill with the downhill in your mind because with the downhill, it's zero effort. You're just coasting, but your speed multiplies many times over. There's great momentum and the speed keeps increasing. There's zero effort. The heart rate comes down. The wind's in uh, what's left of your hair and, uh, and you just enjoy the experience, the exhilaration of seeing the principles of life take over uh, where, and your effort. Uh, doesn't need to contribute at any way. This is what the downhill of faith began to look like. It's so opposite to the uphill. But now you're seeing God work and God do all these things in your life. It's incredible. And it's a, a mystery for many of us. How do we activate a downhill time in our life? And what we found is in a church world, in a local church context, a great way to do that is to understand this whole idea of what I call critical yeast. 
It's a term I've borrowed from the sociological studies, but critical yeast is the opposite of critical mass. Critical mass says if we have enough people doing enough things, we'll change our circumstances and everyone needs to get on board. But critical yeast says something quite different. It says you can change a culture, you can change a whole environment by a very small percentage of people who really do believe in what they're doing can influence the larger body. And so we see this at election time where a swing of government can happen with a very small swing of a few percent. And what we realise in, uh, in so many areas is that a, a group of five or six percent, maybe seven percent of an entire group of people, if they believe and stand for a certain thing, they will influence the, the movement of the rest of that body of people, that whole community or a workplace or whatever. And in the church world, what this means is you don't need to have everyone in a fellowship with high levels of faith because the reality is they probably won't. And it's probably healthy that they don't because we have people at all stages of faith come into a local fellowship. But someone needs to believe. Not everyone, someone has to have belief. And so critical yeast, the critical yeast uh, factor would say that if there's a certain body of people who have enough faith, who just believe, they can influence and change the culture of that whole um, church, that whole community by seeing the results of that. And I've seen this in practice. I've seen a, a quite large church be changed by the critical yeast factor of just a few people beginning who had faith and saw God do a few things and faith grew faith and multiplied and it became a downhill experience because after a while, pretty much everyone believed and saw that God could do anything. It's a critical yeast factor. And so we are implementing that in our own church at Kenmore. Uh, where we create an environment where uh, the critical yeast factor can come into play. We're calling it sanctuary. Sanct now, sanctuary is uh, an idea. Sanctuary is a way of doing an environment. Sanctuary is just a, uh, an environment that we can create anywhere, anywhen, um, which really embraces the whole idea of faith, of leaning into God, of worship, of, of ministry, of exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit and really creating a space where the presence of God is invited and paramount. And so we're going to start a few different environments where that we will call sanctuary environments. The first one's going to be uh, after Easter on Tuesday nights from 7 p.m. till 8 p.m. Uh, we're going to have a sanctuary time where people can come. It's chairs out. It's just worship music and people praying for each other. We may do a few activations and workshops there of, of experimenting and helping people to embrace more the, uh, the presence of God in their life. So that'll be Tuesday nights. And then small groups can come to that environment, enjoy that hour, then break out through our facility um, to enjoy their group time uh, as they normally would. Uh, but this is a great way to start that. But people will come just for that hour uh, of sanctuary. We're going to have sanctuary weekends from Friday nights through to Saturday night, at least once a term, where we're going to get people together and, uh, and just workshop and pray and minister uh, in that whole environment of sanctuary. Because a sanctuary is a place of power, it's a place of presence, it's a place of peace and safety, as we come there with the sole purpose of engaging with God in a more powerful and a new way. So keep an eye out for the sanctuary experiences uh, at Kenmore Church. This will form for us, uh, I believe, the beginnings of the critical yeast that we need to begin to grow as a faith community in more solid faith for the things that we hope God would be about. The miracles, the healings, the relationships restored, the community transformed, all those things come from forming this critical yeast element of the sanctuary space. The bottom line is you can't grow faith alone. A, you grow it with God. B, you grow it in the context 
of God's people. You need the presence of God in your life and you need the presence of God's people. And so in this online environment where I come to you now, my prayer is that you would connect with us or with a community of believers around you where you would workshop this stuff together, these ideas of faith, and be vulnerable to each other, pray for each other, and come to environments such as we're going to create with sanctuary and receive prayer, be in a room where there is that critical yeast factor of people who just believe. You need to do it with God and with others. And so I want to leave you with that today and, and I pray that uh, God would just grow in you a desire to be able to abide in him in a whole new way. Be blessed uh, as you go and as you discuss this with the people around you. My prayer this week is that you would be able to grow in faith by abiding in Jesus in a whole new way. Bless you now. See you next time. Thank you.